The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone here on VoiceAmericaVariety.com with my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake. Welcome to the show this morning. Nice to have all of you here. Um, we want to start you off on the right foot, but Lauren, you and I have to be started off on the right foot. <laughs> and I am not connected to the station. I don't know if my listeners know that, but usually I'm connected by, here I am, by my, with my voice engineer. He just uh, got connected with me. Anyway, we have a guest at 10.15, Mark Hershon. And he's going to stay with us probably 15 minutes, but maybe longer. Who knows? Mark Hershon is the author of I Hate People. How do you like that for a title? Interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say today. Now, I Hate People. (laughs) That's a good title, I Hate People. Let me see. Kick loose from the overbearing and underhanded jerks at work and get what you want out of your job. That's for you. Um, Lauren? Yes. Yes. Uh, it's, yeah, it's all about work. It's all about he categorizes people into different types of people that you hate at work and how to handle them. You know, it's interesting. I think we all have a love-hate relationship with people, don't we? We do. <laughs> Hopefully you want it more on the love than the hate. Well, Here's I think love. Most of the time you know who we do... we do love? You know who we do love, love? <clears throat> I want you to talk about this is Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson just had, what, his funeral at the Coliseum in California, uh-huh. thousands of people. You could buy tickets to it, I guess, inside. Amazing. Yeah. It's a phenomenon. It, it absolutely is. I had a psychologist on the show, Lauren, um, a couple days ago, and he maintains, this is, he has an interesting theory that Americans particularly get so wrapped up in our heroes and our celebrities and we become, you know, his, he has a, I don't know, he doesn't have a book, but it's, he titles his, his speech as um, Celebrities Die and Why Do We Cry When Celebrities Die? Oh, interesting. And that we tend to get so involved or we get involved in their lives and we become so emotionally attached to them. We don't know them. We've never met them. They have nothing really specifically to do with our lives except entertain us, say like Michael Jackson, and what it does is for many people, and he maintains that there are thousands of people who, or maybe even millions who are affected by it, what happens is they tend to then dismiss and not deal with with what they need to in their own lives, with their own issues, with their own feelings of loss or grief, or whatever their issues are on a daily basis. They just hone in like on the reality TV shows, as well as on these movie stars or the celebrities, they don't necessarily have to be movie stars, and become involved in their lives. What do you think about that? I think that's very interesting. So we, like, we bring them closer to us than they really are, so we avoid doing the responsible things in our lives that we need to do to take care of ourselves. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. And I could, I mean, I have a, someone that was doing some work for me the past couple months, and um, 
she she kept getting caught up in the news, and I couldn't understand that, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so you know somebody. You actually know somebody who does that. Yeah, well, she was doing some work for me, but every time we'd have a deadline for some work, it would always never be done on time, and I'd say, what's going on? And she'd say, oh, it was the, I got caught up in the swine flu issues. <laughs> she didn't have swine flu. Neither did anybody in her family, but she was stocking up her cupboards and shopping at all of these places to stock up her pantry. Yeah, so this is a problem, and we get hooked into it because of the media, because of radio, television, Internet, and I think we get sucked into it. So but I don't think it's media's fault. I think actually it's our own um, ability or lack of ability to take responsibility, and it's, a, and it's an excuse for not taking responsibility for our lives and meeting deadlines, and, you know, that oh, makes me crazy. Yeah, well, you and deadlines, <laughs> you're... You're a very dem- are you a very demanding boss? Because that's what we're going to monitor. Well, I don't think I am. I'm actually pretty lenient. But I, when I, someone says they're going to do something by a certain time and it's not going to happen, let me know that. Yeah. Be honest. Be straightforward. Exactly. Yeah. And take responsibility for your part, of the, your part of the project. Well, you know who I'm hooked into, and I don't think I do it at the detriment of getting in touch with my own issues or dealing with my own um, problems, that I, whether it's in family or work, but... Sarah Palin, I have to mention her. Oh, my I think God. she's the one that I'm focused on, and I almost called you up because <laughs> when she resigned, I said, I have to talk to Lauren, and I, we had to wait because you were on the show last week, and so I'm thinking, okay, we have to wait till this week to talk about it. I, oh, my goodness. So what do you think? I mean, why is she resigning? Is this old news? I, 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 she'll never be old news. I think this just keeps on going, but big picture of her in the New York Times, I, just, I do feel like she has something up her sleeve. What do you think it is? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, the only thing I can think of is something like a talk show or something like that. Uh, there's nothing else I can think of, think of that she would do this over. I'm shocked she was, she's quitting because, to me, she's totally eliminating, eliminating herself from the, from the race if she's really interested. But maybe I, she's not. I don't think, oh, two things, I'll give you my read on it. I think, first of all, apparently she got this enormous book deal. Oh, I'm assuming it's a lot of money. I have absolutely no idea. What do you think? $10, I think she definitely $10? did. I definitely think she got a big book deal. So maybe with all this money, she's decided now I can get out there. It gives you a lot more power. I mean, she had power in terms of being the governor of Alaska, but I don't think she had a lot of money. I don't know. This is just my conjecture. Now she's, she's going to have some money, and so she decides maybe she wants to maybe a talk show, go to Hollywood. I said she's going to meet my feel was maybe she's going to move to Hollywood and uh, <laughs> move to take her family and move and, and set up shop and, you know, try, yeah, be a, a, um, a famous person, a celebrity in terms of a talk show or a radio show, something like that. That's the only thing I can think of. But it, do, it is very strange. Like, I don't know if – how could – we as Americans trust that she won't decide that she's going to step down as president. Like, you finish your term. Oh, she, I don't think she has a shot at president. I, don't I totally agree with all. you. I, I, don't don't think I totally shot, agree with you. Yeah, because first of all, when you run for president, and what do you say? I mean, that you were the mayor of Wasilla, that's the only office you really held and... And, and completed. And completed. Because she's never completed her, her term as governor. You know, they compared her to Richard Nixon when he stepped down or other politicians who stepped down to get on the trail to, you know, to talk to people so that they could run for president and, and get a base. But uh, she, Richard Nixon had already been, I think, he had been a governor. He had been 
uh, in the Senate, I mean, because uh, yeah, that's the one they were comparing it to. He already had finished and completed terms, you know, in political life, so uh, there's no comparison there. No, Absolutely not. No, she's not going to run for president. Who would vote for her? I don't think anybody would vote for her, especially now. I was shocked at the news, and I also was shocked at the timing of announcing it. Like, hello, are you paying attention to the outside world? No. <laughs> that was being No, 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 no. Not at all. Have I spoken to you? Yeah, I have spoken to you since I got back from Argentina. Did I? I don't think so. Did you know that I went to Argentina? I did know that you went to Argentina. And tell me. <laughs> I can't, why can't I remember whether or not... I think maybe I did. We did talk about that. Not, not sure. It was beautiful. It was incredible. Argentina is... I can see... What, I can see why Mark Stanford's girlfriend's from Argentina. The women are beautiful. So are the men. I have a good friend here in Austin that is from Argentina. They just got back from two weeks there. They love it. They go back every two years. Do they go to Buenos Aires? They go everywhere. She has family and places she can stay everywhere. They go everywhere. Yeah, it's an amazing place. Great food, um, great music. Dinner starts at 10. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what she said. Her kids were up till midnight every night. Yeah, that's the way it is, and... and so it's a lot of food and it's a lot of fun and a lot of sensuality. That's you know it's very sensual, kind of not like our country, which I describe <laughs> sensual with you. Sensual is not a word you use to describe America for no, sure. Not at all. No, and as a matter of fact, uh, another guy just in, a guy. He's not just a guy. David Kessler. I don't know if you remember who he was. Former FDA commissioner. I don't remember who he is. Well, he's a he's has he's he's just written a book uh, which is called The End of Overeating, Taking Control of the Insatiable American Appetite. That's our appetite. We're not really very sexual, even though we you know we're always saying that there are all these scandals with all our politicians and stuff. I think what our appetite has to do with eating, eating, eating. Um, that we can't control ourselves. You and I talk about this all the time. But uh, he's just written a book. You need to read this book. Um, the end of overeating reveals how the food industry is fueling the country's dangerous and costly eating epidemic. Interesting. Yeah, he, I agree with that. We've become a nation of conditioned hyper eaters. Our eating is excessive and driven by motivational forces. We find it difficult to control. And this is what he says. I got to get this out. This is David Kessler. Chronic exposure to highly palatable foods, those containing sugar, fat, salt or any combination of these, I just ate a half a bag of potato chips last night, um, actually changes the way our brain works. Their powerful drive, these sugar, fat, and salt, their powerful drive conditions us to continually seek out more and more of these foods, significantly reducing our capacity to say no. So true. Do you agree? I, Lauren? Do not have Lauren on the line. Do not have anybody on the line, I guess. I Oh, there you are. You're yes. back. What happened to us? I don't know, but you're back. I didn't hear what you were reading, but I agree with you. We're uncontrollably eating. We're a nation of insatiable eaters. But isn't that what you're talking about with the news? Like when we hear news, we're out of control, and we get scooped up into that particular issue, and we lose our sense of self. Uh, yeah, we do, don't we? Same thing. Exactly. We just we don't seem to be able to put those controls on. Uh, we seem, to, whether it's food or whether it's this adoration of our celebrities, um, 
It's where you lose our sense of self very easily. That whole sense of balance. Yeah. That's what your business is all about, Big Fish Nation, how to balance your life in the workplace, how to balance your life at home, how to balance work, job, all of that. Isn't that what it's about? Definitely what it's about. And it's. I think we get bored with our lives because we don't have our purpose clearly um, mapped out for ourselves or identified for ourselves, and it's really easy to lose our sense of self and our sense of purpose. So, therefore, we... We follow. We follow whether it's food, whether it's uh, celebrities, whether it's someone else's issue. We don't stay grounded to what our own our own stuff is. I'll tell you, we have 30 seconds left, and I want to respond to that, cause, uh, but I, I'm not going to do that now because we have our next guest coming up, or our only guest for today, Mark Hershon, uh, his book, I Hate People. We'll be back in a minute. Catherine Sox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com with Lauren Deller. Don't go away. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. You're listening to Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone with my co-host, Lauren Deller. Thanks for joining us this morning, and thanks for joining us with our guest. Um, our guest this morning is Mark Hershon, author of I Hate People. What a title. Thank you. Subtitle, we'll have to give them that one, too. Kick loose from the overbearing and underhanded jerks at work and get what you want out of your job. Well, we all want to do that, whether your job has 10 employees or 10,000 you must grapple with people you can't stand in the office. 
But luckily, Jonathan Littman, his co-author, and Mark Hershon have written I Hate People, a smart, counterintuitive, and a irreverent turn on the classic workplace self-help book that will show you how to identify the 10 least wanted people, the people you hate, by revealing the strategies to neutralize them. I am going to give Mark a chance to talk, but I just have to say also, he's a branding expert who has dreamt up names for products like BlackBerry and Swiffer and Pentium and Dasani, and also works with Jerry Seinfeld, Dana Carvey, Paul Reiser, and Robin Williams. Welcome. Now you can talk, Mark. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Catherine. It's a (laughs) pleasure to be here. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Pleasure to have you. All right, I the title, and I'm sure everyone who interviews you says, I hate people. Where'd you get that title and why that title? I always tell you never to put hate into a, you know, when you're writing a, a story or usually they say don't use that word. It's not a good word to use. Of course. Well, you know, that's that's our parental conditioning. You're, you know, you're always told as a kid, you go, I hate Billy. And they go, no, we don't hate anybody. Hate's a very strong word. Uh, which is precisely why we put it in the title. Um, you know, my, my background is a branding consultant. The idea is you want to provoke people, uh, either positively or negatively, but you want them to pay attention. So we're hoping the title, I Hate People, certainly grabs people's attention. Well, I think it will, Mark, because when you go to the store, and, you, and I always go straight to the self-help books and stuff, but it's always how to love people, how to collaborate, how to get along, and your book is not... The premise of it is, is not really that, is it? I mean, you talk about different categories of people who bother you at work. We'll talk about those. But then you don't say, like, get along necessarily. You kind of have a different approach. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the title, I Hate People, literally came from hearing people kind of mutter this under their breath at work, both in the retail and uh, also in the corporate worlds. You know, somebody would help you at a counter, and then as they turn away, they just kind of, you know, maybe you didn't understand what they said or whatever happened. They just kind of mutter to themselves, I hate people. Uh, and it, it's not so much a, a hatred of people as it is a hatred of their behavior and the fact that you can't do anything to change their behavior. You might interact with them for 30 seconds, so you're, you're not in a position to say, hey, you know what, maybe you should try doing this instead, unless you've got a lot of extra time on your hands, which not a lot of people do these days. No, no one has extra time, and they have, no one that I know has extra time. But now what about these categories of people at work, these people that, that bother you, that you're in a work situation, but not necessarily corporate. It could be anywhere um, yeah. where, you have to get a, where you have to... Do I use the word get along or I shouldn't use that? Well, no, um, you, you do need to get along with them. And, and the, the I hate people is, is, again, it's about their behavior. And a lot of these people, their, their behavior is ingrained. And we call them the 10 least wanted. Uh, and if you, if you look through I hate people, you'll, you'll, re- you'll not only recognize people you know at work and out of work in there. Uh, and by out of work, I don't mean unemployed. I mean away from the job. Uh, and you'll also recognize elements of yourself as well. I think from time to time we all embody things like the stop sign. The stop sign is classically the devil's advocate, the naysayer, the person who always has a reason why something can't happen, why something can't get done. Um, and while I think every organization needs to have the stop sign at some level of development, a lot of times you'll invite somebody in who's either a peer or upper management to participate in a brainstorming session, and they're a stop sign. And early on in the creative process, you don't need somebody to say, hey, we can't do this or there's no way to get it done. You want to be you know, thinking expansively and thinking creatively, and the last thing you need is somebody to hold up that stop sign. So, But there is a place, I'm hearing you say, for the stop sign person. Maybe not in the beginning when you're trying to get all the ideas out and you need positive reinforcement, but you're saying there is maybe a place for the stop sign person. At yeah, what point? Yeah, when? You know, we got some valuable feedback from one of the executives we interviewed in the book who works for Procter & Gamble, who when the book came out, 
he he read it and he said, you know what? I when you interviewed me for the book, I, I I was thinking about these people I run into, but then as I read the book, I realized I sometimes am the stop sign, and the book's been helpful to me to suddenly recognize my behavior, and I can go, you know what? Now is not for now is not the time for me to hold up the stop sign. I realize I'm doing it. That's a good example. You said it, 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 your book, and that's true. You can look at yourself and say, these are my issues, or you can look at my colleagues' issues. So it works on both sides with what you're saying for the boss and for the employees. Okay, so we've done the stop sign. There are a whole bunch of them. Um, let's talk about not all of them, but, you know. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about uh, maybe the switchblade. A lot of people run into this guy or girl in the office that is um, somebody who uh, is a classic backstabber who will take credit for a job you did and claim it as their own. Or um, they'll, you know, smile in your face, and then when your back is turned, they're bad mouthing you to your boss or to your peers. Uh, and again, this is this can sometimes be us as well. Um, what you, what kind of what you need to do if you're dealing with somebody who's a switchblade, and once you begin to recognize the behavior, you can take steps to do this. Is make sure all of your communications with this person uh, are recorded. There, you're sending emails about every aspect of a project. So if they decide to turn the blade, you've got some backup there. Um, also, maybe you've got, you know, you've aligned yourself with a couple of associates in the office uh, or at the store, wherever you work, who are aware of this behavior as well. So, again, you've got people that are witness to the behavior, and you can call them on it. You can say, hey, this is exactly what we said. This is what you said. What can we do about this? Uh, sometimes just confronting any of the ten least wanted with their behavior can be a wake-up call because a lot of people are doing this unconsciously or subconsciously. They're not really aware of what they're doing. Is there any situation, though, Mark, where okay, you have all these categories, and we'll get back to some of them. Those are two good ones, where you just have to step away and you, because you do talk about just being a soloist, kind of back off a little bit and not necessarily have to antagonize these people that you hate or these categories of people that you hate, but you also don't have to necessarily collaborate with them. You just kind of go on your own. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the the core element of the book is a, an individual we call the soloist, who we we say is is the ma- the main reader. This is the person who says, you know what, I don't have to work with everybody in every situation. The soloist is that person who says, here's the ten least wanted. Here are my strategies for dealing with the ones that I have on a regular basis in my life. And yeah, if you've got a bulldozer who's the, the, the person who you know, likes to bang their desk and shout into their speakerphone, well, maybe you don't have to engage them every time. It's a, it's a very much a pick-your-battles kind of scenario. Um, and many of the strategies we talk about towards the end of the book, which are in chapters called Dig My Cave and Island Hopping, call for the soloist to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to step away from the office for right now. And sometimes that's very difficult to do, but it's amazing if you're going to, you know, offer to your your cube mates, hey, I'm going to take a run down to the cafe, can I pick anybody up a coffee? Well, all of a sudden you've got license to take 20 minutes out of the office and just take a breather and maybe complete some paperwork while you're waiting for those coffees to come back, and they're happy you brought them back something. So, Mark, for you, who's the most difficult one for you to handle in your work? Because I mean, you're not sitting in a corporate office necessarily, or are you? Maybe some of you. No, I, I don't, but I've, in, my, in my work as a branding consultant, I often uh, am exposed to this whole range of people we talk about um, in the book. Uh, so I, I do work with my co-author in an office, Jonathan Littman, and we get along great. We've known each other literally since high school. Um, uh, so it's been years and years. Uh, we didn't always work together, and there, there are things we both do that drive each other crazy. 
they sort of they're not. What are they? What do what drives? I want to know <laughs> what. <laughs> You're not going to get away with that. What drive you drive? Okay. These well, are, I'll, I'll tell you. There's a yeah. there's a section in the book called the the disruptors, and these are people that are not quite as bad as the ten least wanted, in that they they t- frequently can't. Uh, kind of interrupt what you're doing in terms of your career, but they can drive you slowly mad. Uh, and they range for everywhere from the people we call the sound effects, and that's the guy in the next cube over that for whatever reason loves to tap his pen on his coffee cup or has found that one squeak in his chair and knows how to work it over and over and over again. Um, but the thing that dri- things that drive me crazy about Jonathan, I'll be honest because he's honest about the stuff that drives him crazy about me, is one of the, one of the disruptors we have is the swipe. And the swipe is somebody who just, he constantly helps himself to things that are on your desk. And, and usually when you're not there. So you, oh, oh, that would drive me nuts. Yeah, so all of a sudden you have no pens left or no printer paper or any of the other things that Jonathan often <laughs> makes sure there's none of in the office. And the, the trick of the swipe is they never have anything of their own that's worth taking back. So, so <laughs> you're kind of a one-man supply house for the swipe. Right, so you guys have known each other since high school. One of the things that you have in your favor is background. You have a whole history, which is nice because you have that to draw on. It's just not somebody that you started working with five right. years ago. Uh, so how do you handle it? How do you actually get one minute to go? Maybe you can come back after the break and tell us about that because, like, how do you actually handle that? That's an issue. That's a problem. Like you said, he's taking stuff off your desk, but there's nothing really you want from his desk, or maybe you wouldn't even take it anyway because that's not who you are. Absolutely. So, you probably fall into one of the I'll, other categories. I'll tell you what I do when we come back. All right. You tell us what you do and which category you fall into. We're talking to Mark Hershon. He's author of I Hate People. And I'm Catherine Box. I'm your social worker with a microphone here on Voice America, Variety.com, with my co-host, Lauren Beller. So uh, don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Is it really true that nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Get the answers to this and other questions about relationships on Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak. The program's devoted to marriage, divorce, midlife dating, and men-women relationships in general. Jim and his guest experts will have plenty of information, insights, and advice for you, all as part of a lively and wide-ranging discussion about today's relationships. You can listen Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, for Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak on Voice America. Inside all of us lives a warrior. 
We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox. I am your social worker with a microphone here on Voice America, VoiceAmericaVariety.com, with my co host, Lauren Beller. And Lauren, I, Lauren and I are talking to Mark Hershon, author of. I hate people. Kick loose from the overbearing and underhanded jerks at work and get what you want out of your job. And that's what we've been talking about before we took the break. So there are different categories of jerks at work that we've talked about, talked, well, about two of them, I guess. And, Mark, you were telling us before we took the break, I mean, I asked you who you work closely with uh, your poet. Jonathan Littman, yeah. Jonathan Littman. And, and, how do you, and the question was really how do you handle somebody that you've, you've – had a long history and background with. Yes, how do you? Uh, well, the thing I found anyway is you at least you you kind of have a, a, a stripped down relationship where you can really be honest with somebody. I mean, I've made no bones about Jonathan being a swipe, and he's made no bones about the things that drive him crazy about me. And uh, I guess if I had to claim which of the ten least wanted do I fall into most, it's called the the know it none. No, none's one of those people that loves to spew out facts that they've instantly gathered up from Wikipedia and the Internet and blogs and all these other things, and they don't do any fact-checking. They, they don't bother to find out if anything they're saying is correct, but they say it with a tremendous amount of authority, um, and they will, uh, they'll tell you things all day long. And, right, so, uh, but Mark, why do you do that? I mean, I, I'm the social worker. I want to know the underlying reason for that. What's the underlying reason for the person who is the know-it-none, the one full of facts. Why do you think you do it? Where well, do you... for, for me, they come quickly because I'm, uh, uh, I've had 30 years of doing improvisational comedy. And so when in conversation with somebody and some sort of element comes into the conversation that I know something about and I put quotes around the know, I'm happy to share it because I want to contribute to the conversation. And it doesn't really bother me that I, well, maybe this isn't correct. I read it somewhere, so I'm just going to throw it out there and we can kind of kick it around. Uh, but when somebody calls you on it and says, hey, you know what, I actually saw that fact and it doesn't actually have any sort of hold any water at all. <laughs> <laughs> and now with the Internet, I mean, it's this is like a heyday for someone who's the know-it-none because you can get, uh, uh, you know, the fact, I, I tend to do that myself, actually. Lauren, where do you say, what, what do you think you, are you, how do you fit into that category? <laughs> the category of the, what does he call it? The, the, the no, it's not. Full of facts, no, it's not. Also, the useless, or they're not true, or they, you know, they don't necessarily make sense. But you're well, saying, I'm sitting here listening, saying, "Do I do that?" You know, it's, we're always our worst critics, but I also think that it's hard to see the own, our own stuff too sometimes. But I sometimes do think I do that. But I also check my, I check. Like I had, 
I came back to back home the other day, and I had all these people giving me all these facts about what's going on in our with our weather here. And it's a little crazy, so I found I couldn't believe everything because I didn't want to start passing on bad information. So I looked it up. I'm proud of myself now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, Jonathan's defense against my know it nunism is that he's a his background is an investigative journalist. So oh, that's funny. He he always asks me fifty questions for anything I say, and pretty soon he's able to poke a lot of holes into my arguments. Well, I think one of the great things about this book is, you know, we're talking about, you know, the title, I Hate People, but it really does help you to take a look at yourself because I think we tend to, most people tend to uh, at work, really try to you blame everybody else. It's really hard to take a look at yourself and say, where do I fit into the picture? But your book really helps you to do that and to say, hey, where do I fit? Not necessarily where does my coworker fit, but where do I fit into this picture? You know, how am I sabotaging these relationships? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it, a lot of the behavior we talk about, we were talking about it as a way to handle these other, the ten least wanted and these other people that cause you problems in the office. But in reality, you're really working with the only person you can fix, which is you. Um, you know, we're so busy trying to fix somebody else that we rarely, I think, you know, uh, we rarely look at ourselves. That's hard to do. That's not, you know, because we have all these defense mechanisms in place, and we're just ready to go. But you talk, Mark, about. I mean, this, let's, let's get into that whole issue of the soulless, because you said. I mean, that is one of the key point, points in the book, or one of the. the yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the 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 purpose of of dealing with the, the ten least wanted to begin with is to get more productive time back for yourself. Many times we deal with the ten least wanted. We're in meetings. We're in conference calls. We're in all these different time. Uh, consuming elements, uh, and, and a major portion of what we talk about in the book is how to get that productive time back. There, uh, there's a study that's been done. We talk about in the book where the average office worker is interrupted 73 times during the day. That's 73 times. If you're sitting in a cubicle and you've got 73 interruptions, which on an average are five minutes, that adds up to a lot of time throughout the day and doesn't take into account the recovery time. So you're working on a report, the phone rings, you pick it up for a minute, hang it back up again. You've got to get back to where you were, pick up your train of thought. And so the whole day is spent recovering from all these interruptions. And if you're working in a cube farm with a bunch of other people right around you, they have 73 interruptions, and undoubtedly their interruptions are beginning to bleed over into your workspace. So it's how do you get free of all of that to actually focus on your work, which is why we talk about the soloist. Can you find an empty conference room for a half an hour where you can take your work and just get it done? Um, we also talk about uh, a lot about the myth of teamwork. Um, it's become a, a very corporate element to work as a team. Let's all work as a team. And teams are fine if they're small, like we talk about in the book. They are ensembles where there are two three, maybe four people that you can work with who are truly interested in the project you're working on as opposed to 12 people that a company's going to throw at a problem taking into account none of the elements such as personal chemistry. Uh, I mean, that's so much wasted time as I'm listening to you and having read the book. It, it is really a lot of wasted time. So, how, I mean, if you think about that, are companies doing anything about that, particularly the last example you just gave? I mean, having all these meetings with all these people and wasting all that time or is, is I mean, I think I think some companies are beginning to figure it out, but I think it it, it really helps them to feel like they're productive. I mean, what the 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 ten least wanted that probably makes up the biggest percentage of the corporate workforce are, are people we call the sheeple. 
And the sheeple are not harmful in and of themselves, but they are a herd, and they move wherever they're told to do, and they do their assigned work tasks, and they have very little in the way of initiative. So they love meetings, because to them, meetings feel productive, Mm -hmm. even if nothing much is getting done. We interviewed people in the book who said time and time again they would find themselves in meetings that literally were about setting up times for other meetings and (laughs) weren't actually getting anything accomplished. And so, yeah, I think some companies are beginning to figure this out. They're saying, well, we've got 12 people in this meeting. We're paying them X amount of money, you know, in their salary. And why do we have them in a meeting for two hours where nothing is getting done? Yeah, and we're not going to end up making any money out of this. And it would seem to me that your book was really timely because now with this economic downturn and this crisis we find ourselves in, it's really important to be able to identify all of these issues that you describe in the book. Because we have to say, we have to be... We have to save money. We have to, you know, you're going to have fewer people in your company. I mean, I don't have to go through the list, but this is really important because, uh, I mean, at this economic, in our economic, I don't know what you would call it, situation in corporate America. Uh, I I couldn't agree more. Um, I just I just did a blog piece for the Huffington Post that it posted yesterday uh, about a study that Cisco did, the the networking company. Uh, they did a study of about 2,000 employees that are teleworkers, these people that are lucky enough to not have to come into the office every day and on the average are out of the office two days a week and they're able to work from home or a personal office or the cafe or wherever it is they want to work from. And they found that they're more productive, their job satisfaction, uh, their work-life balance, uh, the, the numbers are way, way up as opposed to the corporate grunt that's stuck in a cube somewhere. And so, and the company's actually saving money and saving resources, and it's even ecologically more sound because you don't have as many people commuting to work. And so as these major companies are beginning to find out it's actually cost-effective to do this, it's beginning to make sense to them because the old brick-and-mortar, out of sight, out of mind, if you're not in the office with your butt in the chair, you're not working, that's beginning to fall away. And that, for the soloist, is kind of the, the clarion call of good news that, Finally, I can get my work done without having to deal with the 10 least wanted as frequently as I normally do. And don't you think, Mark, um, and we're, I wanna, we're talking to Mark Hershon, who's author of I Hate People. If you're just joining us, I Hate People, and you can go to his website, uh, Kick Loose from the Overbearing and Underhanded Jerks at Work and Get What You Want Out of Your Job. You know, Mark, I just wanted to say that I think with this newer, you know, the four generations that are in the workplace, uh, the millennials, which are the younger ones in their early 20s and mid-20s, I think fit very well. Their their attitude, the way they've gone to school, the way they've had internships and jobs, they fit into this whole soloist way of, of interacting at work, don't you think? Oh, I think, uh, yes, very much so. And, and, I mean, the title really came from that generation. Those are the people we hear saying these sort of things. They're people that they're, they have no concept of a job that is a career where you're going to start just out of school, and you're going to be there till they give you a gold watch and you go home, you know, 30 years later, 35 or 40 years later. They're saying, I need a job right now, and maybe I'll get bored. Maybe this isn't really what I want to do, but I'm prepared to move on at a moment's notice. And so they are very sort of disaffected and disassociated. It's how did they become more productive? And I think it's by by reducing the amount of conflict they have in the workplace. And also, I think, because they're technologically savvy, as you described. They don't have to sit there and be told what to do in a workplace situation in a cubicle. They can be home on their computers. They can be connected. So they have a whole different skill level. 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, I was having a conversation just yesterday with uh, somebody in, in the millennial group who said, you know, we were told that we're, we were, we're less social because we're always on the computer or texting, and they say, I have more friends than anybody I know that's older than me, uh, and they don't all live nearby, yeah. you know? They've developed friendships with people they may never meet face-to-face. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. So it's a very, it's a really changing workplace, and it's, we're just kind of, aren't we kind of right on the cusp of all of this change? It's just beginning? Oh, I definitely think so. I mean, it's, to me, it, it seems like there's a huge learning curve ever since the advent of the Internet that we're still trying to figure out how do we fit this into our lives where it's not all-consuming. Um, I think a lot of productivity has been lost by the fact that people can sit in their cube at work and watch YouTube videos and email their friends and everything else, and we still haven't figured out what's the restriction on this. It's kind of like when you know when the t- when television first came out in the, the late '40s, there were probably people that would stare at it from the time the TV signal came on in the morning till the time it went off at midnight, just because they were so fascinated by the technology. And I think that same thing multiplied tenfold is happening today. So what do you think about the different categories that you've mentioned, that identifying those people, those, you know, ten people that I, people that I hate? How do they fit in? I'm always interested in generational stuff. I mean, does it fit the different, let's say there are four generations in the workplace, traditionalists, Gen X, uh, no, baby boomers, Gen X, and millennials, Gen Y. Um, do they fit into these categories differently or what? I think they all fit into the categories. It's just a question of where they fit into your your business hierarchy. Uh, their level of difficulty they present to you. If you have a bulldozer who's a boss who's yelling and screaming in the, in the phone and loves to tell you that he's going to fire you, that's different from a bulldozer peer or, or even worse, a bulldozer uh, subordinate who maybe works below you but is still exhibiting this sort of um, bullish behavior. Uh, maybe you can discipline them uh, if they're beneath you or advise them to stop acting like that. But they're still going to be an irritant. They may not be able to, you know, cause you career problems like a boss might be able to do, but there's still somebody you're going to have to deal with because they're present, they're in your life, and they're keeping you from being productive. We've got about a minute left, so we have to wind it up, but I want, I want to mention the book one more time and also tell us your blogs and also website where listeners can go because this is fascinating information and, Absolutely. On, and ongoing. Mark well, John, author of I Hate People... Kick loose from the overbearing and underhanded jerks at work and get what you want out of your job. So, Mark, where can we go? More info. The blog is IHatePeople.biz. Somebody else has .com, and I hate them, of course, for that. Um, So it's IHatePeople.biz. We actually have a a test right on the site, the I Hate People quiz, where you can uh, see just how much you do hate people because we you know we run into a lot of people say oh, i don't hate people i love people and of course they're they're judging our book by its cover um which is fine but then we have a quiz that'll show you that there's probably at least some level of of hate for other people that you've got going on that you may not have been aware of um so there's that and um well, that's the, the main... That's the main crux. And it, it's interactive. That's Everybody likes interactive. I do. If I can take uh, a Absolutely. Quiz, we actually I'm have ready. A, a number of kind of funny videos as we've been marketing the book uh, of us on the street with I Hate People sandwich boards. Mark Hirsch uh, on I Hate People. Got to say goodbye. Thanks so much for being on the show. This thanks, morning. Catherine. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Great. Thank you. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Slott, your social worker with the microphone on Voice America Variety with Lauren VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Want to have behind-the-scenes access to some of the greatest minds of today? On Shift in Action, we feature leading-edge innovators who are building a more conscious, sustainable, and healthy culture. Host Stephen Dynan offers live shows with evolutionary leaders such as Deepak Chopra, Van Jones, and others who are creating new paradigms for conscious living. You can keep your finger on the pulse of the latest frontier work with our weekly transmission of inspired wisdom on Shift in Action, broadcast live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Thanks so much for joining us this morning with my co-host, Lauren Beller. We have been talking to Mark Hershon, author of I Hate People, Kick Loose from the Overbearing and Underhanded Jerks at Work and Get What You Want Out of Your Job. Not always an easy thing to do, but a great book, Lauren, and he really does. He's a smart man. And he is smart, and it's interesting because he really doesn't hate people. No, he doesn't. He really doesn't, which is funny. He's he's a good marketer. Yeah. And isn't it interesting when you do a lot of radio, and I don't know if this has happened to you lately, but I have such an ability, not just when I'm talking to people on the radio, but just in my daily life. Now when the phone rings and someone wants to sell me something or talk to me about something, it could be a friend, it could be business, I have such an ear for picking up on the nuances of what they are trying to say. I mean, have you found that since you've been doing radio? Well, in radio and even coaching, any phone work, because you really hear things. um, I think when you are face-to-face with somebody, you see something different than if you hear just are hearing. There's no question about it. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you, you're right. You do your coaching on the on the on, on, the, on phone. the phone as well. Yeah, phone, radio, whatever. But when you don't have those visual clues, I mean, I just feel like I have such a one-upsmanship. It's so amazing. I mean, I can ask somebody a question and they may hesitate for a split second, but it says there's a thousand words in there to you. Absolutely, and I'm like, okay, this person is either not telling me the truth. 
there's something else going on here, but it's not, we're not, what they say is not necessarily what they mean. And I can, a little bit scary. Sometimes I don't like it because I pick up on things that I really don't want to pick up on. Let's say if it's with a friend or a family member and I want to dismiss it and say it's not there because I really don't want to know. Uh-huh. It's interesting. I, I agree with you. And I think that we all can have that ability better. But I think what we don't know how to do is address it. In other words, we our intuition or our ears or our um, eyes tell us something else, but we don't know how to confront the situation in a way that works in a polite and friendly and happy and non-confrontive way. You know, there's got to be a way to do it so that people... You know what I'm I'm talking about? Yeah, you're saying we get the... Okay, we've honed the skill. We have the information. Your mother, your sister, somebody calls, and I'd love to, uh, you know, I don't know, think of some kind of a scenario that they're telling you that, you know, they want to go shopping with you, but you hear this says it. No, they don't. Not really. (laughs) Exactly. And so it's... But then how do you address it when you have the information? That's the second part of it. That's the most important part of it. It, it is the most important part. I think that it, and there is a way to, I think face-to-face we tend to shy away from it. We tend to ignore it or pretend it's not something that we should address because they're uncomfortable or something. But I do think that there's a deeper level of communication that's, that presents itself when we can be honest about our what we're seeing and hearing. Well, I think when you're, with somebody in person, there are other distractions. There are plenty of other distractions. You can look at something. You can mention something else that you're seeing visually. You don't have to really attend to what you're saying, which you have to. If you don't say anything and you're on the radio or you're on the telephone, then it's just dead air. So you really do have to say something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you kind of... But I do think there's things you could say that are, um, like, really helpful. Not you, but because you, you say it, you address it usually right away. But... Um, I always say, well, what was that pause? What were you thinking that you didn't say? Or, you know, and I think that that's helpful for people. It's always what people don't say, not what they do say. It's true. Like, what did you mean by that? Or, yeah, there's always things that you can say that aren't so confrontive. Is that, and that's, I don't even know if that's a word. I tend to be more confrontive than I used to be. Well, I, I think I have... because you're, there's, a, you're, there's a comfort level with the, what's not being said. You're okay with what's not being said, and you just want it to be said because you're the social worker with the microphone. I think also, Lauren, as I get older, I'm not as sensitive as someone to what the answer or the response is going to be if I confront somebody. I, I feel like I can, you know, if they don't like it, fine, and they can respond or whatever, but I'm not going to go down the tubes because of it or it's, I, I have a, maybe... A, just a thicker skin, I think, that one does develop over the years. It's true. And I think that you're, it doesn't matter what, there's, you're okay with, if they're uncomfortable, you're okay. Yeah. I'm the one in my family who pushes people. I'm the um, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> and my kids will tell me, just stop. Let it go. Let it go. Please, just stop, Mom. And then sometimes they'll say, I can't, I have to, I just can't, I need to just push this a little bit further, or sometimes I will stop Don't it. you think that's a mom's role? I do, and I think that each one of your children is different. Uh-huh. Those moms out there, that some of your kids can accept more of the push and, all, and others can't, so you have to be really sensitive as to which of your children is able to accept your pushing them uh-huh. and which ones are not, or they're a little more fragile, or they need to be adri- talked to in a different way. Yeah, it's an interesting mom trait, I think, for sure, of 
pushing or digging deeper, and not even a mom, but a, um, even a, a woman's role with a guy. We yeah. tend to be the ones that push the conversation of let's talk about this. I don't think I, I don't think I've ever had Rob say to me, "Oh, can we talk about this?" <laughs> we sit down, honey. I really think we need to get into this, and you don't seem to care. You're watching the football game. You have your friends over. You're always talking about. But, honey, I really need to talk to you. I really want to be with you. They don't ever say that. <laughs> if there are any ladies out there who have to deal or confront with them, men that want to talk, yeah, give us a give, give us, us a jingle. Give us a jingle because we've I've never heard that either. And my boyfriend <laughs> Barry is a talker. He but, is a talker. It's true, but he's not one to dig deeper into a into a issue. A hot topic. <laughs> He's not one to say, we have to keep going, honey. We have to keep going at it. No, I'm the one. Exactly. Like at 2 o'clock in the morning last night, I did not want to stop talking. 2 o'clock in the morning? Uh-huh. He said, I, I have to go to bed. I'm exhausted. And I said, well, I just wanted because we had seen this play last night, and I had a lot of stuff. I, I, you know, I had a response to the play and the people who were actually seeing the play, and I had all kinds of things, and I hadn't finished. He said, we're just going to have to finish in the morning. Now, he was right in that case because I just... I think two o'clock. Time to hang it up, and you know. Uh, yeah, someone needs to be sensible and draw the line. Yeah, right. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to go on and on and on. But yeah, he's not the one who would necessarily do that. Uh, but I, I push him. But maybe that's our role. Maybe we don't have to keep complaining about the men we're with. I don't even. And I don't think you're a complainer. Neither am I. But maybe just that's our role. Accept that role. We, ha- you know, the right brain, left brain. That we you know, we just have more right brain stuff. We just like to and we have more brain material that helps us to do that. They've actually discovered that, that women have a bigger area of their brain that has to do with talking and language and seeing the bigger picture. And feeling. And feeling. So why fight it? Exactly. Go with it. Yeah. But there's a role for it, I think, in our society. We need to have those conversations, whether it's between men and women or women and women, or it doesn't matter, it's, or even men and men. I think there's room for that, too. There's really, that's probably, I think men and men communicate the, the least. Very the, different, that's for yeah, sure. Least poor, the most poorly. Men and men do not really, they don't really communicate well. I mean, maybe. Well, it depends on what real communication is. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of talking, but there's not a whole lot of um, learning, I think, is uh, learning from each other. Or understanding. Understanding each or other. Or caring. I'd love to hear from a man that disagrees <laughs> with that. Or anything. I mean, women are, they touch, they feel, they kiss, they hug, and they communicate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, it's no wonder that someone, um, like the guest today, wrote a book, I Hate People. You know, it's interesting that that, a woman would never pick that title. You should have said that to Mark. I didn't think of it until just now. Yeah, what? I didn't think of it until just now. Yeah. No, you're right. The women would never, the women. Women's titles are always little, you know, I love you, I need you. Yeah, what can we do to be happy? Happy for no reason. Happy for no reason. Get along. (laughs) Uh, Actually, it sounds disgusting, but this is the end of the show. We have 30 seconds to go, my dear. So um, any words of wisdom or are we just going to say goodbye? I think be fully yourself, whatever that is. Okay, be full. 
Be full of yourself? No, fully yourself. Like oh. fully, like fully. If you want to talk about it, go I'm for it. I'm full of myself. You are full of yourself. <laughs> Lauren Feller, Catherine Fox. We're on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We've had a great day. Hope you have. We'll see you next week. <laughs> hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.